My name is Barrister Ragusa, and this is the Hunting Hound Podcast presented by W Hunting Supply. All right. Stefan Kikta. Yes, sir. Did I get that right? Good. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks for coming on. We've been talking about this for a while. I've been um, I've been wanting to get you on. We started talking a while ago. I think what we started talking about, actually, we both being kind of in the houndsman community, we I picked up on that you were posting some MMA stuff. I was thinking, is it the houndsman? Uh, was it the houndsman stuff? Was it the mushroom stuff? Was it the uh, MMA? Right. One yeah. Our, <laughs> one of our many things we have in common. It exactly. Like. Yeah. It was, I think, and I like looking back, I think it was the MMA stuff. I think you had posted your picks for that. Um, oh, I think it might have even been that the the rematch between Daniel Cormier and uh, Stipe for the uh, heavyweight title. Okay. Okay. And, yeah, I don't remember uh, if I got that one right or not. I would have probably said Stipe. So yeah, I think we both agreed that it was Stipe, which was the the betting the the betters did not agree with us on that one. But uh, okay, he 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 pulled it off. He he did. Yeah. I didn't get a, rich. That was neither did I. Unfortunately, <laughs> it seems like that's another thing we have in common that all of our interests are things that tap our bank accounts and don't necessarily uh, fill them up at all. Yeah, but, I'm not I'm not much of a gambling addict, but when I first downloaded, you know, the gambling apps and whatnot, I told my wife, I said, I spend so much time studying MMA and podcasts and all that stuff. I said, we're leaving money on the table, like not betting on fights. Right. Which is what I thought getting into it. It turns out I was not leaving any money on the table. <laughs> <laughs> I I've thought about it several times. You know, I've 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 followed MMA for such a long time. And I've covered it myself as a journalist, and it's just like uh, I've I've managed to not do much betting so far. We'll uh, we'll we'll see. What, I don't I don't think I'll get into it now. If I didn't get into it when I was heavily into it, I, I I don't think I'll get into the betting at this point. But it's it is an awful lot of fun to watch. Yes, sir. But um, you know, one of the other things that intrigued me about you and why one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast among sort of many reasons was that, you know, there's a, you know, I end up talking to a lot of these guys and, and a lot of them, you know, maybe got their start with, you know, beagle, a beagle, and then moved on to the big game hounds or, or, or something, you know, or got their start with their uncle's coon hound and moved on to beagles or, or, you know, there's like, this usually like a one or two step process here. But, you know, my history is kind of varied and sorted and, Mm -hmm. you know, yours is, is, is really, really interesting. I mean, you, cause you got, you started out with hog dogs. Is that right? I started out with pit bulls. Yeah. Yeah. Were you, were those the opposite of every houndsman you've ever met? Right. Were you You using those for? for hogs like was that the reason you got into the pit bulls or was there a different reason for it it was like uh it, it was weight pulls and that was big at the time i don't know you know uh we i tried to be a hog hunter from pennsylvania you know making some drives down to south carolina that sort of thing but uh just being a kid from pittsburgh not born and raised in a hunting home born and raised you know literally in downtown pittsburgh so uh 
I didn't even, I didn't even know anybody with hunting dogs. It wasn't even a thing where I came from. Right. Right. So, so when I was in the service, I, uh, booked a pit bull pup cause some friends from back home had them. And I started buying books on pit bulls and got fascinated with pedigrees and, you know, history. And, you know, that led me to, I don't know, wherever I'm at right now, I guess. Right. Right. So when, when you were, you went pretty hard into the pit bulls, didn't you? I mean, you had, you had a few of them. I had a few, you know, I don't, I had, it was probably a time where I had six or eight of them, but yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and a young family at the time. So the pit bulls led me to, to the American bulldogs and, you know, we were doing some confirmation shows, nothing, nothing very serious at all. Really. You know? Sure. Uh, were you hunting with those as well? No, no. The American bulldogs. Yeah. yeah we were trying, but you know, being a, being a hog hunter from Pennsylvania is kind of about the same as being a lion hunter from Pennsylvania. You know, <laughs> it's not really a thing, you know, back then there was the, uh, there were catch dog competitions and that, which, which kind of went away, you know, I don't know, that was 20 years ago or something like that, you know, quickest catch competitions and that sort of thing. But there was a, there was a world with the American bulldogs back then, but sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, huh. I, Interesting. I actually even did some shoots on stuff. I trained with a shoots on club for a while. So, Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, for, for people who don't know what that is, that's, that's some severely hardcore dog training. Yeah. The, yeah. the shoots and, and stuff is, is, I mean, that's, that's got a lot of aspects of sort of military police dog type training combined with sort of search and some search and rescue stuff. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And a lot of bite work. Yeah. 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 Wow. Tracking obedience you know obedience tracking and uh you know bite work but you know i never titled any dogs you know i trained with the club on weekends and you know always had some new young dog you know sure yeah wow and that you were doing that with these with the american bulldogs with the american bulldogs yes cool yeah well what got you into the the hunting dogs like from from the american bulldogs where did you go from there the American Bulldogs, the hog hunting thing kind of, you know, led me to the, I got more fascinated with, you know, not to, not to use the term blood and guts, but I wasn't as fascinated with the catch dogs as I was, wait a minute, if you don't have a dog that can find these hogs, you can't catch them, you know? Right. So, so I got a little bit more fascinated with the hounds than, than even the catch dogs, which, uh, you know, that kind of led me to, so wait a minute, I could have these dogs. And I could actually not have to drive to South Carolina. I could hunt them 10 minutes from my house on raccoons. I mean, that's right. literally what I knew about hunting dogs growing up. Like, wait a minute, what do they do with these dogs now? You know? Right. And I don't know. That was 20, 25 years ago, whatever. Okay. So you, you went from the, hunts. you went from the, uh, American bulldogs to the, um, to, to the, Coonhounds. Yeah. Uh, what were you running? Were you running walkers, black and tans? Three and like, walkers. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Everybody had plots for hogs back in them days. So I actually Pocahontas Kennels, uh, Gene Walker. I booked a couple pups with him. Yep. And then I talking to local guys at work, they're like, oh, so and so uh is a big time coon hunter. Uh a local Hall of Fame coon hunter here, Lee Logan, who I ended up hunting with, hooking up with, hunting with a lot. Uh they all had walkers around here. It was Walker dogs. So I, uh, I canceled the deposit I had on them plots and 
started coon hunting with walkers. Gotcha. Yeah. How long did you do that? I don't know. I guess off and on, you know, probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years, something like that. Okay. Were it you was, uh, mainly just doing it for the experience or were you out doing a little bit of competition? Yeah. Yeah, definitely competition. You yeah. know, I did it the first five years or something. My kids were little. It was hard, you know, coaching baseball, all this stuff. So I'm getting out once or, you know, once every week or two. And you just ain't, you ain't training any dogs like that, you know? So right. I'm not going to pretend, I'm not going to pretend I was competing at a high level for 15 years, you know? I just got into it slowly but surely over time. It just got more and more serious, you know? Sure. Then, then I end up hooking up with uh, Lone Pine Kennels, and, and that was kind of where, that was kind of where things kind of got serious, and I started really doing good, you know. There, uh, Randy Smith and Tom Strang, you know, they mm-hmm. they're winning, they're winning world hunts, you know, high level dogs, and I was handling for them, you know. They kept putting good dogs in my hands, and as far as the coon hunting, that kind of changed everything for me, really. That's that's something that I think is really underestimated in in the not just in competition world in terms of uh, dogs in general, but, you know, j- just in terms of the training aspect of things is, you know, you can have this idea when you're starting out. And I mean, you can hold on to that idea for a really long time when you're just working with your own stuff that, Hey, what I've got, what I've got here is pretty good. And then that day comes where you run that, where you get the chance to handle that super dog. And it's kind of that light bulb aha moment where it's like, Oh, this, this is actually what a good dog looks like. And I guess it all depends on your goals, right? I'm, I'm sure you've seen the same thing in mushing, you know, whether you have a lot Siberians, Alaskans to Euros, like Randy Smith actually messaged me the other day. He said, you need a walker. I said, if I was looking to win night hunts, you were exactly who I would go to. I, I wouldn't get a dog from anywhere else. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it just, it just isn't what I'm trying to do right now. You know? Right. Let's talk a little bit. I want to. I want to segue back back a little bit, but but um, at some point here. But let's talk a little bit about what are you doing now? Because you you did the, we've, you you did the coon hunting. You did the coon hunting for a bunch of years, and now now what are you up to? Cause, yeah, I did coon hunts. You could pepper in there. You know the Patterdales. I yeah, I want to. I want to talk Probably. to you about those guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of in between the. Uh, in between the American Bulldogs and, you know, uh, coon hounds, there were some Patterdales there. You know, I would have a yard full of, you know, maybe not a yard full, but I had three or four Patterdales out there and maybe two or three coon hounds or maybe two or three American Bulldogs, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I raised uh, Patterdales there. The, the gang I was hooked up with with American Bulldogs, pretty much all of us also had some Patterdales. So I did some, some hunting, digging terriers, that sort of thing for, mm-hmm. for a little while cool yeah that's cool i've it's a i I don't know a lot of people who have done that in the states it's a real common thing over here you know most of the you know most of the what we hunt over here because we don't have the you know we don't have the black bear we don't have the uh the raccoons you know most most of what we hunt with hounds over here is going to be fox or you know maybe go to sweden for a little while and hunt some bear and links for the five days that the links season lasts. But, you know, if you, if you want to hunt with hounds, it's going to be, you know, hare or the foxes. And then, you know, if you, if you're going to hunt Fox, seriously, you're going to need a, you're going to need an earth duck, you know, you're going to need a den yeah. dog. 
Yeah. But I don't know a lot of people in the States that have, that have done that. Was there a big community for it? No, no, not at all. No, not at all. There was a lot of people, you know, there's probably, there's probably nine or 10 people that have patterdales for every one person that digs. If you understand what I'm getting at, right. you know, yeah, they yeah, actually yeah. hunt sure. them, you know, yep. everybody mm-hmm. has patterners because they're cool. And, you know, you know, you can watch them, you know, bark at a cage coon and, and, it, and it looks neat. So they're fascinating little dogs, but I don't think there ain't many people that hunt them actually dig much. And, uh, and for them, they're, I don't know, a pretty tight knit kind of a, I don't know. I don't know if I'd call them tight knit because they're always squabbling amongst one another, but they're <laughs> a, a, a quiet community. Should I say? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can understand that. It's, um, there've been some, uh, some interesting discussions on some of the social media platforms recently about, about not just, you know, uh, using the small, the smaller terriers, but also blending in some of the Airedales, uh, for some reason that's kind of become a, a topic of conversation again recently. Um, was that ever anything you did? Did you ever have any of those? Did you ever blend any of that terrier stuff in with your hounds to see what would happen? No, not at all. I kind of, no, I don't want to call myself a, a terrier purist or anything, but you know, even you see a lot of the people with the jags and stuff. Yeah. If you're going to do real terrier work, real terrier work to me is digging. Yep. You got a locating collar on and you're digging. So, you know, the pitter pats and the, crossing them if, if they become too big to fit inside a pennsylvania groundhog hole to me I, there's just no use for them you know right yeah they, i know, totally understand that yeah a lot about barn hunting and that and I, you know they hunt in old barns and in hay and that and, and you know that's an effective way to hunt and you know manage those raccoons and pests or whatever that the farmers are dealing with so but I think for every giant terrier that's way too big to go on a grind, everybody just says, well, that would make a good barn dog. Right. So actually it's a, actually it's a bad terrier, you know? Right. Right. Huh. That's interesting. You know, it's, it's, it seems like a lot of animals, a lot of the dog breeds are continuing to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, you know, we've got some of the beagles that I've seen over here. You know, we had a, we had a beagle, at work that was the you know i work as a as a veterinary tech and uh, we had a beagle a couple of weeks ago that was was over 50 pounds oh wow and we're not we're not (laughs) talking a big you know engorged tick kind of a beagle we're talking this was a big boned super tall you know norwegian kennel club registered purebred beagle Okay. And it was just from a line of beagles that this guy is just breeding them big for some reason. And then it it just becomes this kind of question for me in my head. It's like, well, you know, a little bit like you said, you know, not wanting to necessarily be a purist, but at the same time, it's like, well, you know, why not just get a foxhound or a tree and walker? You know, why would you, why, why would you want to make the beagle into something that it's not, you know? Yeah. Well, all the beagles I ran here, you know, it's all field trial stock, but, you know, most of the classes around here are 13 inch or 15 inch. What I ran mostly was PKC hunts. PKC hunts are the money hunts. Mm-hmm. They were up to 16 inches. Okay. Unfortunately, all the, the lines of dogs I had, I was always battling that 15 inch mark, you know? Uh, so okay. Is that right? I, I, yeah. like the, I like the money hunts more anyways. So it really wasn't a problem. You could hunt up to 16 inch, but 
you know, uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. I, yeah. I, I had what most people would call pretty big beagles. Why, what was it about that line that, that, that worked so well for you, um, on the money hunts? Was it, was it actually the length of their legs that they were able to move a little bit faster in some of the terrain or what, like, was no, their size no, a factor and what was the making them successful? Okay. Yeah. yeah. The, the style of running. I don't think it had anything to do with the size. I've been beat by little females. Uh, my partner I had in beagles, he loved big males, you know, he yep. wanted to, he wanted to go to the hunts and, you know, cheat and try to say they were under 15 inches. You know, he, he seemed to get off on that where I hated it, but right. in the kennel, <laughs> the kennel, who's a buddy of mine, you know, Dennis Kennedy, big meadows, kennel, uh, big meadows, beagles. He, uh, he don't live far from here. He's a buddy of mine. I used to go up to Michigan and run hair with and that sort of thing. That's his, it was his line of dogs was mostly what I had. And he won the world championship a couple of times and he's a good guy. Okay, cool. 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 So I, what, did, I didn't um, seek them out. Tell me a little bit about the beagles. Cause you, you had beagles kind of between the, the coon hounds and the big game hounds that you're running now. Is that right? Or was that kind of at the same time? No, that was definitely, uh, when I, when I quit the night hunts, I was, uh, coaching baseball a lot and uh you know you know had two teenage boys and wrestling and baseball and all that and it just got to where i could do the beagles more than more than anything else and you know i enjoyed it i had a partner and we were we were trying to win a world hunt is what we were trying to do so i don't know i spent i guess five or six years i kept a pack of five or six beagles and traveled around mostly like i said mostly pkc hunts mostly the money hunts yep that was, uh, I enjoy it. I miss it. But then I, uh, yeah, that would be the next topic, but yeah, like yeah, what did that for a while? What, uh, what happened? Like what made you walk away from the Beagles? I went to Utah. I got yeah. invited on a trip to Utah to go run lion. Yeah. And I don't know. It <laughs> caused some kind of midlife crisis. I said, it just ruined me. I just come home and, and I do love Beagles and I do plan to go back to it. But I mean, I'm like chasing these rabbits, which I love. I got the utmost respect for beagles, but I was just like, I was chasing mountain lions like yesterday. Now I'm chasing these rabbits. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm in my forties, but I'm, I'm physically fit enough and it's still legal to chase big game in the U S. So I better do this. If I'm going to do it, it's time to do it now. So I sold out of the beagles and yeah, started trying to chase some bigger stuff again. Cool. What uh, what type of dogs did you get when you went big game? Uh, plots. Yeah, yeah, you went with you went plots. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Did you go with the Pocahontas stuff? You said you'd you'd ordered a couple of the from Eugene from, from uh, Pocahontas from Eugene. Yeah. Yeah. No, I ended up that Baracho dog of mine. He's well, he's half Pocahontas, and his far he's off of the uh, Logan dog, Bear Harrell's Logan dog. So yep. I guess you would say. Somebody who was kind of a mentor to me in the beginning said, you know, if you're going to be coon hunting these plots, make sure there's some coon blood in there. Make sure there's some locating ability. You might, with just straight bear dogs, you might lose some of that and you might be frustrated as compared to a competition treeing walker, you know? Sure. So that was the advice he gave me. And I got that Baracho dog, you know, that was, I guess that was four years ago. He's four years old now. So, and uh, it just really clicked with that dog. I just really liked them. And I yeah. said, uh, if this is what plots are like, 
this is I'm gonna spend the rest of my life breeding and raising these dogs. Like I, I just I'm not saying he's that great a dog. I'm just saying he and I really clicked. So right. And since then you've gotten you've gotten some others. You've got I guess you've got another young male and then two pups. Is that right? I quickly found out that as with every breed of dog, uh, they're not all great, you know. <laughs> right. All the train walkers ain't great. All the running walkers ain't great. All the beagles ain't great. So uh yeah, I guess I I've probably owned ten or eight or ten or so plots now. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, I had some some I liked, some I had here on breeding deals that kind of, you know, breedings or whatever didn't work out that left. And then I had a few, I had a few calls. I had a few that uh I didn't like at all. So right. we're still here as with every houndsman. We're all looking for that perfect hound, right? Oh yeah, isn't that the truth? Yep. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. So are you, Speaking have you gotten out, have you gotten out after cats with your, with your big game, like with your plots at this point, or are you focusing have, on sort of more locally available <laughs> game? I, I, I haven't had my hounds out West yet. No, I've been out there three times, but I've always flown out. So I didn't take any hounds with me. I just went out there for the experience. So, yep. you know, I've run, uh, <laughs> I've run some bobcats and some bears here in the east of the Mississippi, but uh, I have not been out west with my own dogs yet. But that's the goal. Cool. That's what we're that's what we're working towards. Cool. What? Um... And I was disappointed to hear about Dan. I understand a hundred percent where you were coming from, but <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, what is he saying now? No, he's not saying Dan uh, no, went man. elsewhere, man. It, it, I'm I'm still disappointed about Dan. That I'm being said. I, no, sorry, not to cut you off. No, go, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Plenty of times I look at, you know, like my Bracho dog or whatever, who's, you know, turned into a halfway decent bear dog, you know? Mm. And I'm like, man, if you were in the hands of, if he was in the hands of somebody, a real bear hunter, not, not, not a, not an aspiring novice like myself, but who's in the ranch hands of a real bear hunter, he might make a dog, a right. real dog, you know? And I, sometimes feel like it could be wasted talent so i i I understand where you're coming from yeah you know that uh, that's kind of the thing is is there were a lot of factors to it you know it's it's not just sort of a lack of confidence in my own abilities although that was part of it you know just a little bit of you know just that 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 feeling that i had something on my hands that i was not i didn't have the depth of knowledge uh to 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 reach even close to what his potential could be um but you know another part a part of it also is that you know i've got two young boys i've you know my son turned 10 today my oldest son turned 10 today and my uh, youngest son is seven and they were not they weren't digging it you know they were not having fun being out with me and the plot i was having fun but the plot you know dan he's just such an intense dog where you know it would uh, you know, a morning hunt could turn into a sort of a three-day ordeal to get him back. And that's a lot to ask these kids, you know, and I was struggling based on my access, my road access and things like that. I was struggling to set it up in a way where I could get into Dan and give him the backup that he needed. And, and, but at the same time, take care of the kids. And Mm -hmm. I could see that I was kind of killing their enthusiasm for it. You know, my youngest just flat out told me is like i don't want to do this anymore and i I realized that i needed to make a choice whether i was going to 
you know, really put the amount of time and effort into Dan that he needed to become, you know, to reach even a little bit of his potential to the detriment of my, you know, my ability to hunt with my boys or whether I, you know, needed to send him to, him to somebody who was going to be better equipped to, you know, sort of tap his potential and do something else that was going to sort of, you know, preserve my family's enthusiasm for this kind of a lifestyle. Um, Coming from a guy who made the mistake, I applaud you for your decision. Trust me, <laughs> you made the right decision. I mean, I have uh, one boy in Penn State and another boy in the Navy now. Yep. And, uh, and and I, I absolutely ruined them both, you know. Okay, long, yeah. even even with the beagles which the beagles is the perfect it was kind of what made me get into it you know they were young teenagers and i got into it and you know you can go out for a half hour and all that but uh, you know you just stay out in the freezing cold all day and you know we i i realized at one point i said to my wife i said i just realized you know after i already ruined them they don't have this sickness they 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 can't sit there and watch a beagle run a rabbit past this road a hundred times and be fascinated by it every time right you know what i mean <laughs> like they're like yeah it's really cold dad you know what i mean we can go out for an hour or two but to stand here and freeze for eight hours you you got something wrong with you so the minute i realized that they uh that that, that i have a sickness that maybe they don't have was right. a, a revelation that was a good thing probably you know <laughs> oh, gosh. he likes to he likes to bird hunt. He loves the bird dogs. And my youngest boy, he still has a beagle here at the house. But oh, cool. uh, yeah, yeah, I uh, yeah, I, it's th th that's exactly the it's exactly the uh, conclusion that I I came to. You know, I had the opportunity once. You know, once I moved Dan on, I, I kind of had this period where the wind went a little, the wind went a little bit out of my sails. You know, I had a rough I had a rough season this year. You know, I and you know a lot of it I'm sure was boiled down to my my own um lack of experience and lack of sort of the depth of depth of my bench the depth of my toolbox you know i had this buzz dog flake out on me on second day of the season after being bitten in the face mm -hmm. and you know vitby who's come leaps and bounds but she's never going to be a good dog you know i mean she's never going to be she's never going to be the dog that i'm going to want to you know that i'm going to want to that I'm going to be happy to settle for. Yeah. You know, and then, but Dan was that dog. Like Dan was that dog that I got up in the morning and looked forward to getting out with and, you know, was, was excited about the future. And, and, um, you know, so when he left, it kind of, kind of took the bounce out of my bungee a little bit. Um, so I took quite a bit of time, you know, I had a lot of good dogs offered to me by some, you know, really great people. And, you know, the people, those of you that offered me dogs, you know, thank you so much for the offer. And it, it wasn't, I hope nobody was offended when I ended up saying no. Um, you know, the, the, the main thing was that I, I just ended up making a, going in a totally different direction. Um, right this moment, I think, yeah. um, you know, at some point I'm going to need to get a plot. I'm going to need to have a plot again. At some point I'm going to need to sort of pursue, you know, keep going down the road that I started going down with, with Dan, um, with another dog. But, uh, at this point I've got a, uh, I've got a, a beagle pup that I picked up a couple weeks ago. Um, he's, 
10, yeah, that's 10 awesome. weeks I old. That. Yeah. That's exciting. I think you, uh, man, you have, you can have so much fun with them. You know, I really do. Think and so. you won't get any, yeah. you won't get any slack flack from me for, you know, taking a break and coming back to it later. Cause as we've talked about, I've, I've tried a lot of different games and been into them and out of them and into them and out of them a few times, you know? Yeah. Which is really cool. You know, I like, I, I like that ability that, um, you know, to, to, you know, try your hand at a bunch of different stuff because ultimately, you know, my, you know, any strengths that I have as a, as a hound trainer have certainly come from my time with the Huskies and, you know, my time with the hounds has made me a better Husky trainer. Yeah. You know, so it's the, the, I feel like every time I try something new, you know, the obedience with the Labrador doing, you know, some of the sheepdog stuff or, you know, uh, blood trailing, whatever, every time I do something new, it sort of adds to that overall toolbox um, that, that I can apply to these, to, you know, each dog that. Uh, exactly. Know, I only wish that, uh, I only wish that I made, made mistakes one time and then never made them again. That would, that would, that would be nice. I find myself making the same <laughs> stupid mistakes again and again and again. No, to, to, and to make it clear, I, uh, I pretend to be a master, you know, jack of all trades, master none. Let me be very clear. I'm a master because of the fact that I've switched around. I do have a lot of, you know, experiences that I, that I cherish, but I'm a master at none of this. You know, I did not win a world hunt, you know, with a coon hound. I did not win a world hunt with a beagle, you know, right. I, uh, that being said, you know, like you were talking about, I, I learned so much from, you know, my mushing fascination as far as nutrition and care. And then sure. I've messed around with bird dogs. You know, I had an English setter. I had a, uh, you know, German wire hair and I've, you know, competed in some, a few trials with them and what cool. you learn from them about how the intricacies of, uh, of the remote trainer, you know, the shot caller, it's yeah. like, wait, wait, as houndsmen, we just put it on 18 and we just like, it's like, no, it's not, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> right. You know, you, know right. you, you just learn a lot. Yeah, no, it's I, 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 I've noticed that with some of the guys that uh, I've I, I've gone out I've gone out with uh, in like in Sweden, where it's been like, yeah, a, a, a little bit like that those disc jockeys in the morning on your drive to work. It's like, you know, turn it up to eleven and rip the knob off. It's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like it gets a little nutty. My, well, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's and, and, you know, we've come a long way. We've come a long way from the put a dog in a barrel with a deer hide and you know that whole game. Right, so, roll it so down it's, a hill. Right. It's, it's gotten better, <laughs> but there are some there are some, you know, still some old school mentalities. One, one a guy that I bear hunt with, I'm talking to him and he goes, You can't have them prongs on your, your electric collars. He's like, They're dangerous. Dog gets hucked up or something, it'll get choked out. And I'm like, Man, it's it seems like you know, well what if the dog, you know, runs some trash or something like that? He goes, well, you just put on 18. It'll still shock him. I said, well, what if you want to hit him for something less than that? You know, what if it's not a, a bad deer chase heading all across a highway? He goes, right. if you need to shock him, it's worth it to be on 18. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> no, buddy, that is, there's uh, not a dog trainer in the world that would tell you that's the way to do it. Oh, absolutely not. And it's, it is too funny. You know, I've, I've had it, you know, how much things have changed just in like the dog mushing world since I started 
you know, in the mid nineties, late, mid late nineties where, you know, back then it was like your lead dogs, they were going to be big males, your team dogs, they were going to be big males and your wheel dogs were going to be big, big males. They needed to be burly. They needed to be furry and you couldn't pet them too much because you'd make them soft Mm -hmm. and they needed to eat meat that's it occasionally kibble if they need a little bit extra but you know it was like cornflakes quality kibble at that point Mm -hmm. certainly never neutered a dog because that would kill its that would kill its ability to work and you know etc 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 and it was just like it went on and on and on and on and finally some of these people came in from other sports and that was the thing is it, it took them coming in from other from other arenas where you know, having an outside eye, right? Yeah. You know, outside eye, having, uh, having somebody come in from the bird dog, you know, from the bird dog world or from the Labrador world where, you know, having a, you know, man eater in your yard was just, it just wasn't going to happen. You know, it's like you, you didn't show up to a trial with a dog that was going to bite the first person it got close to, you know, it's, that's the fastest way to get a DQ. Yeah. You know, and suddenly you started having these teams show up that, you know, they had some females up in lead and they weren't super huge and they weren't fighting all over the place. And, you know, well, none of those dogs were bleeding. And it was like, it was like a lot of stuff that was like made people sort of start scratching their heads. Like, oh, maybe, it, you know, maybe there's a different way to do this. Yeah. And uh, it's, it, it's, it's really nice now, you know, and it, you could bank on, it wasn't just like a, maybe you could, you had to count on if you were a handler or a veterinarian at one of these sled dog races in the nineties, I mean, you were going to get bitten. Yeah. There was no question, you know, and now it's like if a dog bites, not only is that dog off, off of that team, but that musher's most likely going to be disqualified. Yeah. You know, and when you hear somebody like, when you hear somebody like Dallas articulate the process he went through in, okay, this is what used to work. This is what does work for me. And mm-hmm. this is what I need to change. This is what would accentuate my strengths. Hearing somebody like Dallas walk you through that, articulate and walk you through that process. That's, that's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's been really interesting watching these sort of eras of the, of the sport, you know, going from the, you know, run them and the tough one survive attitude to, you know, then you got guys like, Martin Boozer and Jeff King coming in and showing that, you know, a meticulous, well-planned race kept within the dog's capabilities was actually going to get you there faster, you know, and then you had these, you know, people who fine-tuned that people like Doug Swinley and, and Lance Mackey. And then, you know, then you had, you know, a guy like Dallas who was born into a mushing family where his grandfather was that old school guy. His father was that innovator. And here's this third generation kid, you know, with basically 70 years of, of experience he, in a 25 year old body. I mean, it's just like, it's, he, he was bred and raised and everything was aligned for him to be what he is. Right? Absolutely. I mean, and, and not taking anything away from the guy himself, you know, he's a, He's a consummate competitor. I mean, he was an all-American wrestler, I think, before he was the dog musher. Or he took a yeah, little bit of a, pro- a national 
He was national champ if he didn't compete in a national, something like that. I think he did. Yeah, I think he he was uh, he was super high level. Um, yeah. When he took a break from dog mushing and then came back to dog mushing and just kind of applied the same discipline and grit that these wrestlers have to the dog mushing and uh, yeah. And to take it back to hounds, I don't know how familiar you are with the uh, with the night hunt, the coon hunt, comp, coon hound competition. Are you familiar with that game at all? I'm or not super sport? familiar. I mean, like I'm interested in it, but it's not anything yeah. I've ever participated in. So to say I'm familiar with it would be a lie because no. But I, I've uh, I'm I, I know a little bit about it. But uh, go go ahead. Along the same along the same lines of what we're talking about, like the game in the last ten, I don't know eight, 10, 12 years, it is just totally flipped on its head. It's just totally changed dramatically. Like back in my day, it was a quick, you know, a quick strike dog and a quick dog, a dog that could tree that coon the fastest, you know, and, and you had to be real slick as a handler to pick out the tree voice and to call your dog, you know, you mm-hmm. call them struck, then you call them treed. Then you walk in and if there's a coon, you plus the dogs according to what order they came on that tree, sure. which you're just listening to it all. Well, nowadays, if if them dogs, when they turn them loose, they better go in four different directions. And if a dog trees a coon in this woods, these dogs are raised, trained, and even to this point now, I would say they're bred to be so independent, they don't even hear that dog. They can't even hear that dog. They just run in a totally separate direction. Even if wow. that's the closest coon, it doesn't matter. And it, it's, you know, I don't love it. That's not why I don't do it anymore, but. It just, the game has totally changed. It's just a different type of dog. Uh, and uh, that sounds like it. That's amazing. It's, it's big money in it now, though. Yeah. I mean, there was, what was that? There was one, gosh, a year ago or something that was the purse. The pro was... sport hunt. I just saw, uh, my buddies are in it. I just saw the other day, 36 dogs, $6,500 entry fee. Yeah. First, first place will pay a hundred thousand dollars. That's unbelievable, man. Like that's unbelievable. That is that, that is twice that that's more than twice. I think at this point, what the Iditarod pays for the winning team of the Iditarod. And that's, that's 16 dogs, right? I guess they've dropped it down to 14. That's 14 dogs racing over 1600 miles. And you walk away with half of that. That's crazy. Yeah. It's something else, man. That's awesome. I mean, and it's, it's cool though, that, that, um, you know, the, 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 that the sport and the lifestyle is still doing well enough to support purses like that. That's, I think that's, that's kind of cool. Exactly. And I, I say this, you know, having been around, I shouldn't say this because it could just come off wrong, but having been around the bird dog community, and this is probably my own insecurities more than anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of money in the bird dog world. You know, you might see a $80,000 truck and, you know, $1,500 outfit and, you know, $20,000 shotguns. And I always felt a little bit when you would say, Oh, I'd raise coonhounds or this or that. This is a very general statement, but you might understand where I'm coming from. They could kind of look down there. Oh, Coonhounds, huh? You know, oh, absolutely. Oh, I, I mean, it's... look down their nose. You know what I mean? I'm not putting at all of them. I've met a lot of great bird dog people, but you know, the community in general can look down a bit on a houndsman. I feel like, you know, 
A hundred percent. I mean, catch some flack over that statement, but it's like, do you know that, that, you know, this dog sold for $60,000 know he's <laughs> right, competing exactly. for $100,000 this next weekend, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it, it is funny because, you know, you, you, you know, you can't, and, and I mean, it's a totally different animal there than it is here. You know, I mean, here, you know, a good, a well-bred bird dog or well-bred English setter, you know, we're talking, that's going to be a 30,000 kroner pup or a, sorry. Yeah. Like a 30,000 kroner. So what's that, that going to be? You know, I mean, that's, that's going to be a 5,000 kroner or a $5,000, sorry, uh, puppy. Okay. You know, and like really f- highly functional championship level dogs here in the bird dog world. I mean, it's, you know, then, then you're talking the sort of. Thirty thousand, forty thousand dollar type of price price range. Mm-hmm. You know, you, the hounds. That's just not. That's just not going to be the case. I mean, the the hounds here, there there aren't the big money hunts here. You know, you don't have anything like that um, over here. So, the hounds are the bargain basement hunting dog over here. You know, if you want, if you want a, you know. A, a really good moose dog that's going to cost you more than a really good you know a really good foxhound or a really good treeing walker yeah and which is that like you said that's a good thing that the uh the night hunts keep the value of the coon hound up high you know i think so Big, yeah i think so i think the the guides and the uh you know the professional big game houndsmen you know that there's some big money in those dogs you know for sure Oh, for but, uh, sure. I mean, yeah. If there's a way to make money, and it's it's a tool that will help you make money. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It helps. Yeah. No, yeah. it's it's true. It's true. No, that's really interesting, though. The um, I, I think that's the case with with you know most most dog sports. You know, the the Alaskan Husky long distance guys look down on the Siberian Husky guys, and the Siberian Husky guys look down on the the freight guys, and you know the the sprint people look down on everybody <laughs> to sort of <laughs> generalize unfairly, but you know, it's, it's, it, 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 you know, everybody wants to kind of feel a little bit superior to their neighbor, I think. And I also think that it is a tendency for most people to feel a little bit inferior. It's sort of Our regardless of what they're doing. Right? Yeah. A little bit of insecurities there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, when I, I used to look at beagles when I had coon hounds, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, they, they run a circle. But, you know, how right. involved is it, guys? They run a circle, you know. But then when you're totally engulfed in the beagles, you're like, well, what kind of line is it running? And how far is it off the line? And what kind of mouth does it have? And we're timing right. the distance between the first bark. <laughs> and when is the rabbit moving? Like, talk about making rocket science out of running rabbits. And, you know, you, you become completely engulfed in it, you know. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's one of the things I I, I like, and it, it sounds like you kind of have a that you you have a similar personality to me, where I will, if I if I get interested in something, I don't just sort of vaguely keep track of it. It's I go sort of whole hog and get fully into the small details. You know, that's where I that's where I really start enjoying something is when I know enough about it to be able to start looking at those minute details that you know will make the difference between uh you know perf- high performance and a lower performing you know dog 
MMA competitor, whatever it's going to be. Yeah. You know, I think that that's what's, that's what makes a lot of this fun for me anyways, is, 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 you know, the, the, the fine tuning as you get into that fine tuning aspect of, of training. That's, that's when I really start having fun with it. Yeah. And I've tried to, like we've talked about before, I try to apply some of the principles I've learned just from uh, just watching muff mushing from a distance, you know, as a spectator, but I still take things from it. And the attention to detail, I just envy, you know, when you heard Dallas talking about his diet and, you know, you know, the massage, massaging dogs. And, you know, there mm. might be some bear hunters out there after a good hard rare race, they massage them all before they put them in the box, but I haven't met any, you know. And I try to apply some of those same principles, you know, try to bring that stuff over. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's something that I'm very thankful for, um, you know, and just in terms of my, in terms of my hounds, you know, I, I don't have a lot of strengths as a, as a hound trainer, but one of the things that has really, really, really benefited me has, was my time with the sled dogs specifically because of the rest recovery cycles, the nutrition aspect of things and, um, you know, the strength and conditioning aspect of things, you know, cause my, my dogs are still going to be good to go on day, you know, three and four, mm-hmm. uh, because I apply all the same things to my hunting dogs mm-hmm. that I did to, to my Huskies. And, you know, that that goes all the way from not just when I get a dog on my property, but it goes, it, 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 it factors into which dogs I choose. You know, I will choose a well-built, a, a hound that's well-built, but doesn't have the, you know, the, the fl- nice papers over a very well-papered dog that I don't like the build on. I'll like, no question will choose the better built dog. And you taught me a few things. You mentioned a few things about Baracho that I had never considered uh, confirmation-wise. And, and it's something I learned from, from the Beagles. You know, we talk about jumping around, playing different games. Mm. In the Kuhnhan world, I, you, know, uh, you know, this dog's a show champion. This, this dog did this on the bench. I don't care. I care about Tree and Coons, you know. Yeah. And the Kuhnhan, you know, might travel a mile and a half in a night, you know, tree three or four coons, you probably ain't going to travel more than two miles. And they just can, they can just get over with confirmation flaws where I start running beagles and I'm running a beagle with eight inch legs and he's doing somewhere between 10 and 15 up to 20 miles, maybe 20 plus miles in a day. Mm -hmm. If there's a problem on his pasterns, if he's turned out east, west, something like that, or he's cowhawk, yep. they just break down, you know? And 100%. it's like, oh, I never considered this. You know, I never considered this in the coon house. Yeah. Now, I you- mean, it's 100%. Yeah. It's, it, it's a fascinating aspect of dogs, working dogs that is sort of very frustrating to me because it's something I want to talk about, but means so little to so many of the people that I talk to that it's like not even worth bringing up. <laughs> well, you know, since you say you like talking about it, I'll, I'll bring up a point that you said to me that I never considered. Okay. I, I, you know, coming from the bulldogs, you know, when I first got into coon hounds or maybe plots, uh, you know, a bulldog guy's going to like a big muscled up blocky looking dog, you know, big blocky head. 
and just common sense and running, owning some tree or uh, running walkers, running coyotes and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That big muscled out blocky dog, it's for the most case, not going to hold up. And that doesn't take too much common sense. But I was like, oh, I still like a dog with a nice big blocky head, like a plot with a big head like that. Mm -hmm. And you were like, you know what? Baracho has a perfect head because you don't want that. You don't want all that weight on the front end. Right. I was like, wow, never. It took, it took you telling me that, that I never even heard anybody mention that before. Right. Well, that, that's, that's really interesting. interesting. Cause yeah, I mean, that was something that I, I learned really early on, you know, with the, with the sled dogs is that, you know, when you had these, these like Malamute dogs and these, these dogs that had, you know, Inuit dogs bred into them when the rest of the body is massive enough that it matches the head, if everything is in proportion, then it's okay. But when you started breeding in these, these racier Alaskan Huskies, but you wanted to hold on to some of the fur. So you were breeding in kind of these older dogs into these new racier Alaskan Huskies. You had to be really, really careful because you could get these super athletic dogs that just looked amazing, but they still had that kind of pumpkin head and, you know, they just, they just couldn't do it. They, they would just bust down their front ends and it, you know, mm -hmm. they, they may be super, super high performing dogs for the first six years of their life, but then, uh, you know, they may retire early. And that's always been something that's been important to me in my breeding programs has been not just a dog's, you know, um, ability to perform at a very high level, but how long can they perform at a high level? Mm -hmm. You know, longevity um, has been something that's, that, that, that I've paid a lot of attention to. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't have the longevity in the hound sport to have been able to do it much, you know, so far. You know, but mm -hmm. with, the, with the sled dogs, you know, I, I prefer to have a dog that doesn't really start to slow down until it's, you know, eight and a half, nine, and preferably won't retire until they're 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's my ideal. It doesn't always happen. You know, you're always going to have those, you know, the millions of steps that they're taking in the course of their lifetime. You're always going to have those, you know, dogs that step into a hole or whatever that, you know, they're going to, they're going to have career ending injuries, but you kind of try to avoid those the the dogs that uh without any mechanism for injury are just always injured like those those dogs i yeah. always took out of my breeding program because i don't you know i, I don't want them uh, i you know i don't want them around and it was why i one of the reasons i chose to to get dan when i got him was that i saw pictures of his mom and he sent me some videos of his mom running along uh, side a bike and she just moved so well mm -hmm. and was so well put together that I, I rolled the dice, you know, I never figured out who the father was, um, with, with Dan, I've got a pretty good idea, but, you know, uh, took the chance and, you know, Dan is, Dan is as well built a dog as I've come across in, in any sport. Um, you know, and, and Vitby is the same, this, uh, American Foxhound I have is the running walker I have is the same. Whereas yeah. Buzz is not, you know, Buzz is tall. He's too tall in relation to the length of his spine. And he's got that big pumpkin head and very, very straight pasterns. And that, that's enough, you know, that's enough so that he has 
you know, if I run him by himself, I can still run him because of the conditioning and the nutrition. I can still run him four or five days in a row without it being any major issue for him. But then that's going to have to be at his pace. If I yeah. run him with another dog that he tries to keep up with, even for half a day, I can guarantee you he's going to be lame by the end of that day. That's something I'm learning. It's something I'm anxious to see here this season. You know, I, I like the way Baracho looks more than a more than a few people have told me. You know, oh, he's put together right. You know, I've seen him. I, I haven't ran him with ten different packs of bear dogs, but I've ran him with a few different packs of bear dogs now, and he's. He's going to be towards the front in the beginning of the race, you know, for at mm -hmm. least an hour or two, you know, I don't know if it's youthful exuberance, you know, he'll, he, he goes pretty hard in the beginning of the race, you know? So, so, you know, whether he'll continue to hold that all day long, I guess that's to be seen, but mm -hmm. this young dog, this T gray dog I have now, I mean, Baracho just looks like a bodybuilder trying to keep up with a marathon runner when I rode him, you know, okay. he's only, he's only a year old now. So this will be his first real season on bear here. But I mean, he just moves. I mean, to me, he's, he's not good to look at. He's awful to look at. He kind of looks like a brindle running walker. I, I don't care for much about the way he looks, but he just moves so much easier than Baracho. So, right. you know, and he seems that he has the, he has the grit, the, uh, the running to catch mentality, mm -hmm. but uh, whether, whether we'll have the nose or not, to put those attributes to use. I'm, I'm really anxious to see. I'm excited about this season coming up here. That's really cool that it's, it's so exciting when you've got some, some young stuff coming up, you know, it, it, it's awfully comfortable to have that good dog that you just know you can go out and get it done with, but th th there's something just so, yeah. Uh, electrifying about having that, that, that younger dog that you're excited about. Cause you've got, but you've also got a couple of pups there that look really nice. I was looking yeah. at pictures of them the other day. They were, they're turning out really to be good looking yeah, dogs. Yeah. Yeah. They're coming along nice. They're a pain, man. And I didn't realize what time of year I was getting them when it, when it, I had one coming, it was kind of a replacement for a dog. I didn't really care for. Mm -hmm. So the guy said, I'll replace her. I'll replace her with another pup delivered to your house. I said, well, I don't expect to guarantee what a pup, but he goes, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send you two. I'm like, well, okay. Not realizing that it was mid January and I, I couldn't really put them out in the kennel. So they spent, you know, the first two months in the house and right. it, it was a lot of work. <laughs> if I, if I could do it over again, it's nice now that, you know, they're about ready to get started, but it's been a rough couple months. You know, I probably have one or two dogs more than I need right now at the house. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm excited to see what, what, what becomes of them. That's exciting. Yeah. It's but you know the, I guess the ideal the, the ideal though is that they're going to be those few months older when the season starts. Yeah, you know. Exactly. So I guess that's going to be the trade off. You know, I was real happy with this this beagle pup, this Mike, this Mike pup that I've got now. You know, he was born. <clears throat> you know, he's ten weeks old now, and you know, I think that's really nice. I see a lot of these other litters that are being done now you know the females are being bred now it's going to be kind of late in the season you know they're gonna they're gonna even by the tail end of the season they're still going to be just a little bit too young you know whereas mike you know, i think is going to be really i hear a lot of people talk about that but here in pa it's not something i never gave much thought to because of the fact that we can train dogs in pa year round so there's no there's no closed season for what you call in quotes dog training so mm -hmm. you can run coon 
you can run coon 365 days a year. You can run rabbits 365 days a year. So okay. there are times during the year where conditions are better. And yeah, it's great to have a, you know, when coon's harvest season opens up in the fall, it's great to have a, you know, 10, 11, one-year-old dog. Sure. Uh, 10, 11 month old, one-year-old dog that time of season. But uh, I guess we're a little bit, uh, we're a little bit lucky in the fact that we can train dogs pretty much year round. So yeah, that's, that is sweet. Yeah. We've got, uh, our hair season is from October to February and the, um, the roe deer season, because we're allowed to run, we're allowed to run beagles on roe deer because they're under oh. 41 centimeters to so 16 inches at the shoulder. Okay. So like this Mike pup, um, he's going to be, I'm going to try to get him on roe deer. Uh, I, I would, I would prefer that to the hair. If he just becomes a straight hair dog, that uh, that's not going to bother me at all. But, um, we have so many roe deer around here at this point that I would love to, uh, and you know, I, t- I try to take at least one a year every year, Okay, but I would, uh, prefer to be doing it with a dog than, you know, sitting in a stand waiting for it well the good thing about my son's beagle is he also prefers deer over <laughs> rabbits <laughs> unfortunately uh that's never what i'm after we're not allowed to run deer here in pa but yeah there's a good uh for buddy and uh jason there's a good train wreck story with that guy okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah what happened oh uh i i this was like, this was, I guess this would have been last. Yeah. I guess this would have been last winter. It was really the, you know, Barachos maybe two or three. And I had this pipe dream of maybe one day catching a bobcat, you know, which I haven't caught any yet, but I'm getting closer to, uh, to getting it done. But I drive all the way up to the national forest. I got my son's beagle and a couple coyote hind pups, a couple running walker pups and Barachko. Well, I pull off the road and I find the prettiest cat track i've ever seen in my life mm-hmm. i mean it just crossed the road it's snowing right then i know how hot this track is i put him down i'm like i've been waiting for this moment for for three years since or you know whatever two or three years i've had this plot this is the moment i've been waiting for sure. this is getting ready to happen you know so i dump him on this cat track next thing i know i look down he's like 700 yards quarter mile in there something like that i'm like holy heck he's moving this so i'm like i'm gonna put my boots on I'm going to let these pups out, this beagle and these couple running walker pups out. I mean, within, within 30 seconds before I could get my boot tied, they started a deer and they're just gone. <laughs> oh, <no>. And I'm <laughs> like, no callers, no callers on none of them. Cause they were, I was just letting them empty out, you know, the, the, I'm, I guess Bracho put that cat in, in some rock ledges up there. Cause the, the race just switched off like a switch and he just come back out to the truck, but I wanted to hike in there and, try to put him back on it or see what went on. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I literally spent the next week trying to catch, I, oh, I got the run walkers caught, but yeah, it's another whole story about my son's dog spent a week up there in the national forest with us trying to catch him and people trying to help us catch him. And that's two hours from my house. So the, be- the was be- this was the beagle. <laughs> that was the beagle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he spent, my son got lost up there oh, no. in a snowstorm with Crocs on the, uh, one day looking for him, I, uh, I had, we had some snowmobilers help us kind of run them down and yeah, oh, man. Quite the, uh, but 
he, he bought himself a home here for a little while because you got to respect that little guy. He spent a week up there in the National Forest in February in the snow. And lived to tell the tale. Wow, that's amazing. Oh, man. Yeah, that's, he must have got terrorized by coyotes, though, because for the next, like, for the next maybe six months, if you would come across, like, if he would come across any coyote scent, I mean, he would take off running a half mile away, just looking over his shoulder, screaming in terror. Oh, just okay. the, the yeah. slightest hint of coyote scent. So, sure. I mean, they must have terrorized them, man. Gotcha. Yeah, mm. beagles, you know, but beagles are tough, man. You know, it's a, that's the funny thing. It's like I've, I've had a lot of different dogs, a lot of different types of dogs in my life. And, you know, a good, tough, like a good, tough Alaskan Husky, that's, you know, that, that's a hard dog to beat. But, you know, Dan the Plot was just, man, he was tougher than boot leather. It was, I mean, amazingly tough dog. But, you know, these beagles too, though, it's, you know. They don't get the credit they deserve. They don't. They're these, you know, they they do some amazing things. And they're like a third the size of these other dogs. And they're not, what, what impresses me with the beagles is it's not like some of these terriers where, what's happened i feel like what's happened is they're super tough but it's because they've had this like the switch this self-preservation mechanism just bred totally out of them yeah they 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 they, they they're tough because they're insane yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah i got you you're an the, mma fan yeah I know yeah like, it's it, it's just like but the the beagles they're tough because they want to be they're tough yeah. because they've got the heart and that's, that's always fascinated me. I grew up with a beagle and I didn't, you know, I didn't hunt her or anything like that, but she, you know, I taught that dog to do everything. She would herd cows for, you know, I mean, she was, that dog was the best and she was tough as heck. You know, I was, I don't think beagles get the respect that they need. I was talking to, uh, it always fascinates me watching and listening to the podcasts that, um, like Cleve and Becky Dwyer do. You know, because yeah. they do though they, they do they've bred some beagle into their into their stuff, and yeah. it's just they've got nothing but good stuff to say about the beagles. It's really, uh, I think they're an underestimated, underestimated dog. Hundred percent. The ter- the terrain, they, the brush they go through. You know. Yeah. Uh. Uh-uh. The mileage. I, I always say, you know, I went from I went from running rabbits to running bear, and I mean. My beagles put more miles on than than a lot of bear dogs do, you know? Oh, that, sure. Like you said, a third of the size. I mean, it's easy to, you know, you could just drop the tailgate, sit down on a tailgate and, you know, put the miles on a, on a rabbit dog, you know? Yeah. You know, and I, but again, I think that a lot of that can boil down to a lot of that can boil down to how you train them, how you condition them. You know, a beagle is not going to, the nice thing about a beagle is that their top speed is not going to be high enough to really beat themselves up. You know, like a, a big hound, their top speed, if they really go nuts, you know, they can do a lot of damage to themselves fairly quickly. Yeah. You know, but the beagle, you know, they're never going to be moving fast enough to be busting legs and, you know, dislocating hips and things like that, oh, you know, I got you. I got you. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, we would go up to Michigan and, uh, run snowshoe hair up there in Michigan. We would put a hundred miles on the dogs in a week, you know, I'll bet you would yeah. We'd get up there 80, 90 miles, you know, running them, you know, half a day, you know, we'd usually run two different packs, run one mile 
or one pack before lunch and the other pack after lunch. But I've never, I've never put a hundred miles on a bear dog. I'm sure guys put plenty more than that. You know, I don't pretend to be a, I don't pretend to be a a bear hunter. I have very much experience at it, but no, but I mean, miles on a week is is a lot for a dog. It is a lot for a dog. Yeah. I mean, it is a lot for a dog. You've got to, you know, apart from, you know, realistically in terms of just overall endurance type stuff, and you've, you've kind of got to get into the dog mushing world before you're, you're starting to look at more, more distance put on a dog mm-hmm. in a week, you know, then is put on a, a really active pack of beagles or, you know, uh, even, you know, these bear dogs, cat, cat dogs, you know, it's the running walker guys. I say that saying that, uh, the running walker guys that run coyotes around here mm-hmm. and even. Yeah, I mean, you can put some miles on a dog. Them guys put some miles on. They would probably laugh at a hunter. I, as I was saying that, I was thinking, well, you know what? Any of my coyote hound buddies would probably laugh at me because they can have some 40, 50 mile days. You could have, you know, you could have four or five of them in a week during the wintertime, you know? So sure, sure. They could, they could probably put 200 miles on, I guess. Well, it's, it's a totally different animal though, right? Yeah. You know, it's like with the, with the huskies, you know, yes, they're doing, you know, I, I've had, I've had three or 400 mile weeks before, um, in training where that, that's not been, you know, that it's starting to get to up there in training intensity, but you know, it's not that bad. Okay. But you know, the thing is, is that, you know, you're, you're not letting the dogs do whatever they want. They're on, they're on trails. They're all tied together they're being kept in line you're not letting them go as fast as they want to you're breaking the speed down you're keeping them kind of within that aerobic threshold that's going to make it so that they're able to keep that pace for the amount of time that you're going to be training right so with with the hounds you know you don't have that so they're going to be dictating their own speed so you know and they're going to do what most dogs do which is just go balls to the wall until they hit the, you know, until they literally hit a wall. And that was another thing where I tried to apply the, uh, you know, I was messing around with the dogs are hydrated stuff. The, uh, yep. 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 And, and, you know, I'm like, if Arlie Reynolds tells you it helps, well then you listen to Arlie Reynolds, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it was, it's so hard to the difference between mushing and, you know, the bear dogs or any of the hounds, it's so hard to control the variables, you know? Like you're not going to run your, you're not going to run your sled dogs a mile and a half one day. And then the next day, you know, 24. Right. Which might happen on a bear race, you know, it's like no musher would ever do that, you know? And then do you have access to that? I I would like, okay, let me get them. As soon as I get them caught up and get, I get them back to the truck. Uh, you know, I'm going to feed them this, you know, bowl of water I have specially prepared, but they've been laying in the Creek now overheated. And their bellies are just blowed up from all the creek water they drank, you know? And I'm right. like, man, this is a little more difficult than I, I wouldn't call it a failed experiment, but it failed experiment, but it was a little different, more difficult. Right. I mean, that's, that's a great point though, is that, you know, the, we, as mushers, you know, we have total control over the dogs at all times, you know, at yes. all times they're attached to us basically. Yeah. You know, it's not like, it's not like with the hounds. And that was something that I really struggled with when I got into it was just learning sort of that ability to let go. It was really sort of this anxious feeling for me when they got out of my sight. Cause it was just like, you know, as a dog musher, 
that was you were in serious trouble if you're out there and you don't see your team you're screwed yeah you know so like making that adjustment to with the hounds where it was like where it was okay i don't see them but that's okay i've got you know i've got this gps thing this this is all going to be okay but Mm -hmm. you know more than that we also had the ability to they didn't eat unless we fed them they didn't drink unless we gave them water something to drink you know we Mm -hmm. had total control over what was going in to those animals and Mm -hmm. which in turn gave us control of their output to a very Mm -hmm. large degree Mm -hmm. and you know that is something that as houndsmen we don't have you know you can have this perfect diet of just uh, that you've got all planned out with you know dogs are hydrated and you know, the best kibble available and all of these things and that they should get that within 20 minutes of being done of, you know, blah, 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 blah. The real, the reality of it is that, you know, by the they, time they you get back to the truck, carcass. exactly, you know, by yeah. the time you get back to the truck, their guts are going to be full of muddy water and, you know, a half rotten deer carcass, you know, your, <laughs> your perfect nutrition and plan is out the window. A testament so, to their toughness again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're not running, like you said, they're not running on a trail. They're running through. I don't know if you had that mountain laurel. Somebody was making fun of me online the other day because I'm an idiot. Don't know the difference between mountain laurel and what is it? Rhododendron? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's the yep, vegetation yep. they have down there in West Virginia that these bears go through. And just watching a pack of, of bear dogs go through it, it's just unbelievable. It's just, I mean, you know, the bang, I mean, what they must be banging off of every brush and every rock and every... I mean, it just the toughness just it just fascinates me. It's unbelievable. It is, it, it is unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It's why it's such a it's more why we dynamic. Do what we do, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's such a more dynamic. You know, the hounds are they're required to move in a much more dynamic way than the huskies are. You know, the huskies you want them to settle into that endless tr- trot. You know that where they just keep the same motion over and over and over again for thousands of miles is, is kind of what you're going for, you know, but with the hounds, you know, they, they're running over such uneven terrain and, you know, with obstacles and all of this different stuff, you know, it's, it's a, it is a totally, totally different. um, uh, It's a totally different physical challenge, I think for the hounds than it is for the huskies the huskies are able to do those long distance that they do because it's controlled i don't think it's reasonable to compare necessarily the two two specifically i i don't think Mm -hmm. it's i I don't think it's you know comparing i I don't think it's comparing apples to apples but i don't totally think it's comparing apples to oranges either i think there are a lot of similarities but maybe not as many as um not as many as some people think and not as few as other people think (laughs) maybe no, I know what you're saying. <laughs> I agreed. Yep. What uh what kind of kibble are you feeding your guys since we're talking about nutrition and that kind of thing? So I did that big thing, the uh chart and all the kilocalories per cup, uh yep. and, and translated over to dollars and just trying to find the best bargain and and uh and a lot of people messaged me. I couldn't believe the traction I got online. And people were under the fallacy that I was some kind of dog food expert that I knew anything about it. So I was getting so many messages like, what should, I don't know what you're saying, but what should I feed? And I'm like, you know what I learned from this is that I don't know. Uh, (laughs) I I think it was kind of a failed research project because what I found out the best um, kilocalories per cup per dollar 
foods were, were just lower quality foods. I, you know, it, uh, I, I, the analogy I come up with is you can get a lot of calories for a little bit of money at McDonald's. Right. I wouldn't recommend you eat that every day. So that being said, I'm feeding diamond right now, uh, mm-hmm. diamond high energy, the maroon and green bag. Sure. It's the, it's the cheapest food I've fed in a long time. Uh, the, the prices of dog feed are, I've always fed around that dollar per pound. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know, you know, what your experiences were in made if you or Maine, I'm sorry, if you had a uh, diamond dog food or, or you have the same brands over there. Um, back then, I don't know what a lot of the brands were being used. We had, we had a couple things that we, we had access to at that point. One of them was a, was a f- old food that I don't even think they make anymore. It's called Casco. Yeah, yeah, I used to feed Casco, the purple yeah. and uh Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's what I yeah. started feeding. And then I made the switch later on to something called Blackwoods. I don't know which if I know was Blackwoods. Yeah, it was a it was specifically a a dog mushing formulated dog food. Okay. Um so it was something that Mitch CV fed way back when. Okay. Um, and then after that, I made the, I guess the last thing I was feeding before we moved was, um, Inukshuk. Yeah. And I looked into that. If, if money was not a, if money was not an issue, I would probably feed that. Inukshuk. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where if you can afford to go and buy you know, pallets at a time and get that sort of big distributor kind mm-hmm. of prices for it, then it might make sense. But, you know, for that to make sense, you really realistically should be feeding, you know, 20 dogs, you know, mm-hmm. otherwise it's going to start going rancid. Cause I mean, that is the downside to some of these, some of these high, super high energy foods is that, you know, you do have that really high fat, fat content that, you know, does make it so that, especially in some of the you know, warmer climates, it, it's going to start to go, it's going to start to get pretty harsh. Yeah. After, you know, not too, too long. Yeah. But, um, to answer your question, I'm on that diamond high energy and it's what it, the, the dog food prices have, have just went crazy around here. Like everything yeah, else. Here. I'm, I'm not it's the only one complaining about that. So I was like feeding seven, eight dogs here. I, uh, what is that now? It's, I have it wrote down at like 70 cents a pound. Okay. Yep. Uh, you know, the coats don't look great. Uh, really other than that, I have no other complaints, no sure. skin issues, no ear issues. It does have corn in it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've always been a diamond guy. I've, I've never really had any problems with their recalls and all that stuff. I know some people panic about, but uh, uh, that's going to happen to pretty much every, every dog food pr- producer at sooner or later, exactly. that's going to happen eventually. Exactly. Yeah. Now that's that's interesting. So before uh I think we're gonna start thinking about wrapping this up here. We've gone for an hour and a half. I love that's one of the things I love about this. I just talked to uh to uh Clint Buckwalter about this uh, a couple days ago where it's just like the the time flies talking dogs. Like I feel like we've yeah. been sitting here for just a few minutes. In fact, we've been sitting here for an hour and a half just talking dogs. Yeah, probably hardly covered hands. We probably talked more about MMA and mushing. <laughs> yeah. So, but before we go, I'm going to, uh, 
I'm going to go ahead and put a big old bullseye on your back and ask you the hard question. Sure. All right. You've run treeing walkers. You have plots. Which breed has the better feet? Feet? The feet. Which has the tougher feet? Because this is a big discussion over here that I am deeply unpopular for my opinion, and I'm interested to hear. I'm not going to tell you what it is until you've told me <laughs> what your thoughts are on it. Oh, man. I, I, I can honestly say I wish I could tell you I've ran them more till I had bad problems. I've never had a problem with a tree dog's feet. Really? Okay. I've, I've, I've run some pads off of coyote hinds, and I've run some pads off of beagles, but I, I, I have not had trouble with plots or tree and walker's feet. Gotcha. Cool. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that is not an, an, the answer I expected. So that's cool. Yeah. I, that just goes to show I haven't run them enough, I guess. No, no, it's, you know, it's one of the things I think over here is that we've got very specific lines. We don't have all of these different lines of walkers and plots over here that, you know, you guys, we would have in the States, you know, um, that are going to have all of these different qualities. So I, you know, with the risk of, at the risk of alienating some of my walker listeners some of the walkers that are over here not all of them some of them have really bad feet okay and so as i'm as you're talking i'm thinking about it more just you know prefacing why didn't i have an answer for your question if you're talking about train walkers and plots running on coon and or bear really ain't running them that much when the snow's bad in the right. terrain here in pa it's not it's not nasty rock it's not lava rock like they got out west if you're running coyotes and fox and you're running on that bad snow, I mean, you just tear dog's feet to pieces. But the bear are hibernating for the most part. You know, the coon aren't moving great when you got deep snow. So, sure. No, that makes sense. I think, uh, yeah, it's just a, condi- it's a conditions question. And I, I, you know, that is the issue, part of the issue we have is, you know, it's, it's freaking Norway in yeah. late fall you know it's going to be icy it's going to be snowy it's going to be crunchy it's going to be gross so yeah um and my experience has been uh talking to talking to people both what i've experienced myself and talking to people you know take my limited experience with a grain of salt but has been that the uh the plots have pretty pretty solid feet compared to some of the walkers that i've i've run with anyway They've been saying nothing about the quality of the dog overall, but just feet. Uh, Well, that's what I thought you were getting at when you were saying what's between the tree walkers and the plots. I'm like, you ain't putting, you ain't (laughs) setting me up like that. You better go. (laughs) I made a post a few months ago. I had a frustrating night. I had, you know, Baracha was hurt with a bad foot. Speak of the devil, but, um, Baraja was hurt with a bad foot and I had a bad night with the young dogs and I put a post about being frustrated about the plots and man, you would think, you would think I, I, I was telling other people their dogs were bad. I was right. just saying mine were bad, you know, <laughs> it's people are funny, man. Like when you, when you get out on, you get a little bit out on social media or you put yourself out there some way, whether it's in a podcast or social media or whatever, you know, it, it gives people this feeling that they that they know you that they have some kind of a relationship to you 
Yeah. And that always cracks me up because I'll get, I'll get feedback on stuff that I do from people that I have never, I've never even talked to. Like I, I have no idea who they are, who they are. You know, like when I bought, when I bought Dan, you know, here, here in, in Norway, you know, for the most part, plots are reckoned to be good on links and they're good on bears. That's it. Like they're, if you want a fox dog, there's a bunch of different, there's a bunch of different other dogs you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just got messages, people coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. Being like, well, I don't know how I feel about this, Barry. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I don't know if I care. The good thing about social media is I control the narrative and you control the narrative. You know what I mean? Like if you're the person who, if you like to argue, then, then it's the place for it. me personally. I don't, so yep. I don't even engage at all. Neither I just, do I. I mean, not that I don't want to hear your opinion. I like the opposing opinions, but if what you're looking to do is just argue, block, delete, (laughs) it's not my thing, buddy. I'm not that guy. I totally agree. I totally agree. All right, Stefan, I really appreciate this. This was uh, was a lot. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. And I I think we've scratched the surface. Of yeah. some of what I want to talk to you about. So we may, uh, I may start bugging you to do another one of these before too very long. As long as I don't listen to it, because I've done a few and I can't stand the sound of my own voice. It goes right through me. So, I, uh, I, I feel the same, the same way as uh, something I said to Jason early on. It was like, you know, I can't understand that anybody wants to listen to my voice for an hour. Like, gosh, <laughs> how annoying. I, Somebody videoed me something the other day and, and I was playing it with my wife. And I said, how do you, how do you even marry to a guy that sounds like that? Listen, <laughs> like this condescending tone. It's just awful, man. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think that way, but when I hear it come out of my mouth, that's what it sounds like to me. So, right. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. All right, buddy. Thanks, Bear. I appreciate, I appreciate it, man. It. Thank you, man. Do a good job on here, man. I appreciate that a lot. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll keep in touch. Sounds good. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Man, I love that sound.